Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. And this is the worst girl gang ever. We're thrilled to have a new sponsor, Bauer Swimwear. Design-led and thoughtfully created for a slower pace of life, Bauer is an environmentally conscious swimwear brand that are championing change in the apparel industry. Combining high fashion with functionality, Bauer's luxury swim and resort wear is designed to look and feel exceptional. The brand's beautifully constructed collections are inspired by art, iconic design and childhoods by the beach in Sydney. Each piece is made by small ateliers in Italy and Portugal using recycled and responsibly sourced fabrics. Bauer is committed to creating a positive, diverse and fairly paid working environment. Plus, 1% of profits are donated to the Healthy Seas Initiative, helping to close the loop. Read more about their sustainability commitments and shop the full spring-summer 21 collection now at bowerswimwear.com. Also, we can give a discount, 25% off with code TWGGE. The mint ones, lovely, mint chocolate. Ah, see, I don't know about a mint coffee. I, I mean, I, I'm partial to a, a mint, minty magnum. Oh, yes, yes. But mint I, ice cream. Yeah. Nice. Do you remember Cold feasts? Yeah. Yes. They're not called oh. feasts anymore, are no, they? I've got a funny story about feasts. <laughs> right. When I was at primary school, we used to do this walk around the countryside of Gravesham. And um, we were told that if we completed this walk, we would be able to go for a feast at the mayor's office. So <laughs> did the walk, smashed it. And then our school was just along from the like, <laughs> where the council work. And so... We walked along one day and we were going to meet the mayor and have a feast. And now I'm picturing Henry VIII, like chicken <laughs> drumsticks. and Oh, like a banquet. Yeah, and it was a mint feast. And it was feast. a mint feast. Yeah. Oh. It walks like I 15 thought... miles for that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you meant it the other way around and they put on this proper like banquet for you and you're like, where's the fucking feast? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't swear when I was in year five. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear right should we actually talk about what we're here for yeah no. oh. well thank Why you not? for inviting me on thank you so much for coming yeah <laughs> your na- can I just point out your name is really is- really annoying on your <laughs> thing because it's Bexy well, my- face which I love but the per- first letter is not a capital and everything else is uh, you know right my brain. the amount of work calls I've done my other half changed it when I did a zoom quiz right at the start of lockdown and I've not changed it since and oh, I, I see. Every time that I do a client call and they say, why is your name Bexy Face? I like the name. <laughs> it's the capitalisation that I have an issue with because the one You're letter that anal. should be a capital is not a capital and everything else is. So you can obviously tell your other half was pissed up, quizzing. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm going to call her Bexy Face. Friday night, night. yeah. <laughs> My lockdown quizzing name at the beginning of lockdown was Miley Virus. <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah right yeah that's good I'm quite proud did of myself of for that yeah I what do I like that, that. Wow. it's good yeah that's good yeah <laughs> cool anywho <laughs> hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the worst girl gang ever we are lucky enough to be joined in the studio <laughs> by Becca Sparnan hi Becca oh she just hello oh <laughs> how are you I am very well thank you very well thank you very much for inviting me on no thank you so much for being here absolute pleasure because there are a couple of things that we were going to talk about with you um Mm -hmm. and one of them is something that we've not touched on yet so 
we thought it'd be really interesting to discuss. Can you hear my dog? Yeah, I can hear your dog. He's rolling around on the floor. I was like, that's either her dog or her tummy. And she (laughs) I'm glad it's your dog. (laughs) Hopefully he'll get bored soon. Yeah. And so what we wanted to discuss with you is Ooh. diminished ovarian reserve. Yes. Otherwise something... known as DOR. Yeah. <laughs> that's something that, that you went through. Um, yeah. And, and then also, sadly, you had an ectopic pregnancy as well. I did. Yeah. And I think it was a direct result of the ectopic pregnancy um, that we decided to, to look into my fertility more and understand what, what was going on and um time being a little bit more of a factor given my age as well um which resulted in in numerous tests um mm-hmm. and then finding out that part of, of some of those tests came back with a not not so great result um but probably did, did explain the reason why we were struggling for so long trying to conceive basically. sure so what are the symptoms of DOR? Is it a strug- struggle to conceive or is it a uh, recurrent miscarriage? Or talk us through, you know, what, well, what it is. To, it's, it's, it's quite, it's commonly there are no symptoms at all, yeah. which is one of the reasons why I'm such an advocate now of, of getting your levels checked while, while you're younger, um, because a lot of people don't realise they have low AMH or DOR until they get tested for whatever reason and usually that's because they can't conceive and what mm. sorry just what is amh because i've heard that sure. banded around a bit as well sure so amh is the anti-mulherian hormone i think it stands for and basically that's the hormone when you check your hormone levels when you're having all your fertility tests it's one of the tests that they recommend okay. um, to see it supposedly gives an indication of your ovarian reserve at that right. time like a snapshot of of how your ovarian reserve is is doing at that time and if it's on the low side basically and a low amh indicates it can indicate a um a dor or a low ovarian reserve basically and a low ovarian reserve is because ba- you're born with all the eggs that you ever have right exactly so yeah. that an, a low ovarian reserve means that you don't have as many eggs left as perhaps you should yeah, or perhaps someone else of your age does. Exactly that. Exactly and then once that. they're gone, they're gone. Is that right? Or that's do they right. never get? Do people die with loads of eggs? I, I have no idea about this. <laughs> I guess it depends question, what actually. age you die, doesn't it? <laughs> I think. Like, yeah, you but get do to you the like point where I think eggs? my nan probably hasn't got any eggs left. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's oh, 90, of course, 93. That's the so. menopause, right? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I think basically, you you do you do lose a huge proportion of your eggs throughout your lifetime as, as you become fertile and you start having your periods and you start ovulating you, your numbers go down quite quickly yeah. um, and that's obviously one of the reasons that they do say past 35 your fertility starts to decline a little more rapidly um, yeah. and your numbers do start to decline a lot faster after the age of, of 35 um, but basically um, for me my at 38 my result came back at 4.6 which really it should be around the 15 20 mark mm, so it was right. on, on the on the low side that's your amh amh levels amh level yeah okay. yeah right okay so um anything under five is considered very low basically and was that a shock to you was that Massively. something you considered was it that must Massively. have been really difficult to get your head around yeah, because I think 
I was I was told after the ectopic, the th- the first thing the doctor said to me was, "Well, at least you can get pregnant. It's oh. a good sign that you can get pregnant." That old chestnut. So, and it's just, it's kind of like you you can understand them trying to make a positive out of a negative situation, mm. but it, it is difficult when you have been trying for a long time and nothing's happening, and then you finally get that result, and you're told, yeah. unfortunately. it's not a viable pregnancy you know it's it's so difficult did you personally though because we have a lot of people that kind we talk about the ugly feelings and what not to say Mm. and stuff and obviously the whole at least thing is one of the things that really is is quite triggering and and hurtful yes But, but we also talk about how as an individual, you do sometimes feel like yeah at least I can get pregnant did you feel that way at all I did absolutely I think because it was it was quite a long time um that we were trying and I, I I don't know if anyone else is the same as me but when I was younger and even building up to the age of about 30 I just assumed everything was fine yeah, I of course you, why wouldn't it was, you it's so simple you come off the pill you decide that you're ready to have a child and it happens yeah. and then you have a perfectly normal pregnancy everything goes fine and nine months later you've got a baby Amazing. I think you, also if you if you get your periods at the period getting age and you have a period every month ish, yes. like why would you think anything? Yes, is wrong? exactly. If there are yeah. no indications, there's no like blips, there's no anything like no, that, no. then you know, it's to all intents and purposes, that's just what happens when yeah. you're a, a woman, right? For me, yeah. my mum used to say, Oh, we're all very fertile, Laura. You'll have no problem. <laughs> Oh, that's mm, hard. That's it, and I hung it? on to that and I was like, wow, why is this happening to me? Yes. Yeah. Mum said that everyone, our family's all really fertile. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. It's, it is difficult because I think when, when I was younger, I just remember being taught at school, you know, the dangers of unprotected sex. Yeah, 100%. And, the, and how it's, it's something you want to avoid having children at an early age. You know, you you want to be careful. Obviously, you need to be careful about um, sexually transmitted diseases and everything and totally understand teaching children that. But I think there was never anything mentioned about the possibility that it might not be easy to get yeah. pregnant mm. and you might suffer a miscarriage or you might suffer an ectopic mm-hmm. or you might find that you actually need assistance getting pregnant mm, which yeah. is something that you just never you're not taught about you're, you're not never you're about. not you're not taught about anything other than the actual norm because I never got periods I got one and then I was mm. like oh okay this is what you know this is this is me perioding every month for the rest of you know my fertile days and then I never got another one but I was because no one talks about it I was so embarrassed and like yeah I'm not normal yeah. That I didn't say anything to anyone apart from, yeah. you know, and started going to see doctors because I was worried about my fertility and very much was able to hit the ground running when it, yeah. when it came to trying for a baby because I'd done all my own research as a child, fundamentally. God. And I just think that if we can open these, we talked about it yesterday in our post, if we can open these conversations to kids, because we're all like busy wrapping them in, in, in bubble wrap going, yeah. oh, don't get STIs, don't get pregnant. That, I mean, they're, they're the future of this of this world. Yeah. And we're not yeah. trusting them enough to go, oh, yeah, but if you tell them that you might not be able to get pregnant, then they'll probably just have unprotected sex and there'll be loads of unwanted pregnancies. Like, it yeah. doesn't work like that. No. Absolutely. I think the yeah. thing is now, the information is out there because you – 
kids can just Google stuff. We didn't have that. Like I used to have to ring mm. 0800 28 29 30 from the payphone, the sex the, the sex line, to ask questions. <laughs> Did you give your name was as, as Ben Dover? <laughs> <laughs> but these guys now can just can just Google stuff. But which is is great that this information is there for them. Yeah. But like you say, Bex, the feeling embarrassed and ashamed and feeling different that will only get better with people talking about it. Absolutely. And removing the stigma. And for some reason, there is still a stigma. There's a stigma around talking about infertility issues. Um, And there's there's still a huge stigma around talking about ectopics, talking about miscarriages. I had no idea that people I knew had had miscarriages until I started talking about the ectopic. It's crazy, isn't it? Nobody talked about it. Yeah. You know, and the, even the statistics, the one in statistics, I didn't even know that statistic until I yeah. started joining the groups to understand about the ectopic pregnancy and, and what was happening with me and and realising there were so many women going through the same thing. Yes. But mm. silently, you know, they, yeah. people just don't talk about it. So well, we are. Yeah, we, we don't stop talking about it. Exactly, no. which no. is why it's so great. It, what you're doing is fantastic, <laughs> it really is. So, so how long after you'd started trying did you have the ectopic? So um, I remember that I'd gone to the doctors before the ectopic um, and I uh, I think it will have been past the six-month mark, but given my age of, at the time being 37, they'd said anything past six months, you probably need to just do some investigatory, you know, some, some blood tests to see what's mm. going on there. So I had been to the doctors and I started having um, blood tests done, um, which showed that, interestingly, my progesterone was very low okay. as well. So that could have been one of the reasons why things weren't happening straight after I came off the pill. It, I found, I don't know if anyone else um, experienced this, but when I came off the pill, it took a long time for my hormones to adjust and to sort of become normalised. Mm. Um, and I was told the month you come off the pill, you know, you're, you're unprotected and, and that you can you can fall pregnant that month. And mm-hmm. I think, again, I got it into my head that straight away it could, it could happen. Yeah, um, same for me. I was told I had my implant out and I said, when do I need to start being careful? And he said, tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so those came back with low progesterone and we did the, we did a few other tests and then slowly the progesterone started going up. So I think at that time, my hormones were starting to normalise. And then it was probably a few months after that that I had a a period, normal period, um, normal duration. It was maybe two or three days late, but my my periods were a little bit all over the place after the pill anyway. Mm. So they went from like 33 days to to 30 to 29. So they were a little bit all over the place. Um, And then one morning... I think it will have been about a week after my period finished. Um, I laid in bed and I had horrendous pain um, on my side. And it was like a, a severe stitch pain. Um, and I just sat, sat up and I knew, I knew something was wrong. And yeah. it was just like a gut instinct. It was such a strange sensation that for some reason, I went straight into the bathroom and took a pregnancy test and it was positive. And it was quite a clear positive as well. Um, mm-hmm. So I had no idea that I was pregnant. I, I didn't have the sort of 
oh, fantastic, you know, I've got a yeah. positive test. As far as okay. I was aware, it was another failed cycle and, you know, I was on to the next cycle. Um, so that was a, a real shock. And um, when you took, sorry, when you took that pregnancy test, because mm-hmm. you'd had this pain, mm-hmm. you were already thinking something's gone wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. absolutely. I think um, because I, for some reason, I don't know if it is, um, I have been told already I potentially have endometriosis, but I've not actually had surgery mm-hmm. um, because at this time when I was getting this, information from a consultant COVID hit so all um all non-urgent surgical procedures have been stopped so although I was booked in for a lap it never actually happened um so I I knew there might have been something there in terms of perhaps the previous infection that had caused endometriosis and I was already a, a little bit concerned to be honest about the possibility of an ectopic pregnancy happening and okay. my ovulation is very painful as well very painful right so I can so, always feel ovulation quite strongly every month yeah me too can you feel what side it is yeah it's crazy <laughs> yeah. isn't it yeah it's weird yeah. it's weird there's some people I never understand when they say really I, I have no idea when I ovulate so I'm like yeah. really because I'm in pain for like three hours afterwards <laughs> yeah yeah I can feel it but I I've only ever felt it on one side Oh really? Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and when you when you walk, when you put your foot down that side, it's like oh. Yeah. Well, they do say there is one dominant ovary normally. Well, maybe I just don't feel it more the other than side. the other one. Mm. Yeah. There we are. So, did you take yourself straight to the hospital thinking, oh, "Shit, this might be an ectopic"? Yes, I did okay. absolutely because I think at that time, because I'd had a normal bleed as well, a normal period. I don't know whether that was bleeding from the ectopic that just happened to coincide with around the time of my normal period mm. or whether it was bleeding from an ectopic. Um, but I didn't want to take the risk. So I was yeah. straight, straight into the car, straight off to, to A&E. Um, and, I, and I told them straight away, I said, I think, I think this is a, an ectopic. Something's not right. Mm. did you have the shoulder tip pain that everyone talks about I didn't at first um but because we started by um expectation management which is where they just monitor you closely in the hopes that the pregnancy will resolve itself really Um, I'm surprised they they chose that option considering you were in pain yes well the pain came and then completely went so it was like a really strange stabbing stitch sensation yeah it really intense and then it went and then I I would get it occasionally but not 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 all the time I think if I was in severe pain when I'd landed at A&E they would have probably taken me straight through for surgery um but they then monitor your levels your um hormone levels Mm -hmm. um to see how how quickly the hormone is rising and it wasn't too high at that point right so they don't think the pregnancy had progressed that much at that point the numbers were quite low right um and um so basically I had to go away and then come back uh, every couple of days for for another repeat blood test so I mean how were you feeling at this point so you were like I've tried I've waited all this time to get pregnant <laughs> um I've just found yeah. out in the same day well, in the same hour, I, I'm pregnant and this is, I'm not going to be able to have this baby. This is not going to be a viable pregnancy. Really, really hard. Really yeah. hard. It was, 
being sat in the EPU on your own because you're not allowed to bring anybody with you because of the mm. COVID situation. So my other half didn't know what was going on. He just dropped me off at A&E and had to leave me there. Um, and there was a lot of waiting around and there was no answers. Mm. The only thing that they could say was, okay, well, we'll take you through for a scan and we'll see if we can find the pregnancy. Um, and then uh, they suspect it's a PUL, which is pregnancy of unknown location. Um, at the time, they can't even diagnose it as an ectopic because they just can't find a pregnancy. Because it was too early? Yes. Too small? Yeah, early. yeah. Normally, if you're quite progressed, you can sometimes see the pregnancy in the fallopian tube because it sort of stretches Yeah. Um, the tube. But um, they couldn't see anything with me, nothing. So okay. it was never it was never officially diagnosed as an ectopic. However, we got closer and closer to the point where they realised expectation management wasn't going to work for me because the pregnancy was still growing. Right. Um, and it got to, I think, my numbers got to 1,900, um, where they said, right, we'll take you for one more scan. And mm-hmm. if we still can't see anything, we're going to have to give you uh, either surgery or um, the mexotrethate, which is the injection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it was decided after that, still couldn't find anything. Um, they suspected that because they couldn't see anything at all, it was an ectopic. Um, and then I was given the uh, given the injection. So they had no choice but to give you the methotrexate, right? Because right. If it, they, yeah. they don't know where it is. They can't just take a tube out. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's incredibly difficult if you can't find it. Mm. Um yeah, yeah, absolutely. Did any of you think like at the time, but what if it's just too small? What if it's in the right place but yeah. you just can't see it? Because that's I did. that's <laughs> where yeah, that's where mine would have gone and be like, Well, if you can't see it though, how do you know it's in the wrong place? Yeah. How long absolutely. was it between the first scan and the scan when they decided to give you the methotrexate? Um, I think it was over about the period of about a week, about a week. Um, And I think um, the numbers did keep rising quite, quite steadily, actually, but not to the point where, so your numbers are supposed to go up. um, Double every 48 hours. That's it. Yeah. And mine weren't quite at that. They they weren't doubling. They were sort of like... um, not quite by by about 50% less than they should have been doing so that was another reason why they were telling me look you know it's not growing at the right rate either so that tells us that it's not in the right place because if it's not growing properly um and we still can't see it um it's telling us that there's something wrong basically yeah um it is difficult because you do think oh just what what if you've missed it and I did say to them can you just do one scan, please? One final scan at the at the 1,900 mark where you should be able to see something on, you know, in the uterus, yeah. just so that it's a peace of mind. So I know I've made the right decision because I've got to sign that piece of paper that says, yes, you can give me this. Yeah. And did they do that? Yes, they did. Oh, that's, that's yeah. good. I remember yeah, going to my first good. DMC and asking them the same thing. Like, are you not going to scan me before we go? It was yesterday that you scanned me. What if something's changed? Yeah. And they were like, no, you're just going to theatre. And I was on the way there thinking, oh, my God. Oh, my God. What if it's fine? Yeah, it's horrible. I think that is, that's like the worst nightmare situation, isn't it? Mm. 
and I felt the same. I was like, but what if it's just... You do hear of these miracle stories. Yeah, of course you do. You do, absolutely. What if it's just like hiding around the corner or something? Yeah, yeah. Or it's just a slow grower and it'll suddenly just catch up and everything will be fine. Mm. Crazy. So the methotrexate, Mm. is it three months after taking it that you are not allowed to try it Okay. Yeah. So it's it basically eradicates all the folic acid in your body. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, interesting. So that's how it actually stops the growth of the baby of the, of the fetus, um, because having no folic acid, that it, it can't grow anymore. Um, so um, because you have no folic acid, you, it's really important that you take the best supplements afterwards to make sure that you build your levels back up before you start trying again. Um, and they also say that psychologically it's good to have a um, a few months off after yeah, going so. through it, you know, and, and, and in hindsight, I think that, yes, it probably was a good thing for me to have a little bit of a, I'd thrown everything I had into trying to conceive and then all of a sudden it had happened, but it wasn't right. And I just, mm. I wasn't expecting that at all. Um, and it, it did floor me a little bit for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I carried on because I'm a massive control. I don't know if anyone knows this, but I'm a massive control freak. So being not in control of what was happening was a big thing for me, you know, and, and just not being in control of my fertility and not understanding why there was something not quite right and something wasn't happening properly was yeah. really difficult for me to deal with because mm-hmm. I'm used to finding a problem and, and solving it and sorting it myself. Yep. And, you know what do you do when you don't know what's wrong and you don't know that's when you went and had the testing that's right yeah yeah so I figured that I've got three months where Mm -hmm. not gonna be doing anything we're not gonna be trying um let's get some tests done um and these tests were coming anyway because of the the, you know the process was moving on um so did you have your tests done on the NHS well because of the COVID situation a lot of um, the clinics that we dealt with weren't operating at all. Right. So I did have to do these tests privately just to get the ball, you know. How much was that? Can we ask? No, of course. So we did a couple of tests. We did um, a semen analysis, which is, I think, 175. Okay. Um, We did, I did a hycosi, which was the really important one for me because, um I really wanted to understand what was going on with my tubes and if they were both blocked um which could be an explanation for me not being able to get pregnant because obviously if your tubes are blocked they they cannot make it way um so that was 550 and was that the injecting the dye down the tubes and yeah okay yeah with the balloon and they take a like an ultrasound so they can see hopefully the dye coming through the tubes okay um, and flowing through out through the ovaries and that was 550 um, that was 550 mm. yeah yeah and then the um, test for your amh is that did you have that done as well i did that yeah that was that was 65 that one 65 okay pounds. so it wasn't that wasn't too bad um i think that's about it um, and obviously you have to pay for your consultation and things like that oh yeah well. of course so the consultation was about 60 pounds as well um well, that's good yeah, I mean, for me, it was just a small price to pay. Yeah, yeah, of course. I felt that, like the three months, I just thought, 
God, I'm, I'm losing three months and I can't do anything. And yeah. at least then I'm still being proactive. As a, yeah, it. exactly. As a fellow control freak, I feel so much better. If it, It's almost like you've got this massive space of time before you. Because when after I had my miscarriage, I went to see my acupuncturist. He said, you need to wait three months because else it's just going to happen again. This is his assessment of me. And I was like, oh, that's like forever. Yeah. And so I just started booking things in. For example, reflexology. I decided to book that in like, you know, every other week. And then I was like, oh, okay, well, I've got that that week and that. And it just helps your state of mind, doesn't yeah. it? Thinking I've got something in the diary. I am doing something. I am yeah. proactive. This is happening. <laughs> and we had someone uh, on our Facebook group say the other day, just well we often get it like how do you cope with this gap of time and I always just say if you're doing something your brain it's not actually about the length of time it is it's about Mm -hmm. the time that your brain thinks the the length of time is and if you can start doing stuff and booking stuff and and being proactive maybe set yourself a little task right Mm -hmm. by the end of this week I am going to find out what this is or what I need to do from there I think it really helps your um mental health yeah yeah absolutely it does it does you know because in in your mind you're getting back a little bit of that control and you're yeah. doing something you know and it does help you definitely mm. so talk yeah. us through what happened when the results came back so basically I wasn't expecting to have anything I mean I wasn't the high cosy was actually fine it was quite yeah. a painful procedure for me um I'm not quite sure why it was for me it, too they tell you it was just it? period pain yeah, it was just like a cramping, like a real horrible cramping in my uterus when they put the balloon in. and but like it's, it's like a constant cramping, isn't it? Yeah. I yeah. went and did it in my lunch break because I used to work at the hospital um, because people said, oh, it's just like period pain. So I thought, mm. oh, I'll just pop down. And I went back up to work. I could barely walk. I was walking like John Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and all these people that said, oh, it's fine. Well, I'm like, what? <laughs> I know. But maybe some people have periods like that, in which case, maybe. wow, I feel yeah, quite maybe. lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always thought I had quite a high pain threshold but after that I was like maybe I'm a bit of a wimp actually <laughs> I was crying I was laying on the table yeah. and I just started sobbing and I don't know if it was the pain or maybe it was the pain and the why the fuck am I having to do this mm, fed up yeah. with this like why yeah. why am I having to go through more shit yeah maybe it was a combination of, of both things I don't know well, I, I remember tears I and they were like the... you okay I'm like no I'm not Oh, do I God. look okay? Yeah. No, I think I, I burst into tears. But I think for me, it was when when the doctor finally got the catheter in, which was a bit of a nightmare in itself. Um, and he said, you know, right, okay, it's flowing through the right tube. And then, yeah, and the left one's fine as well. I just went, whoosh. And I was just yeah. the relief of thinking, I built up in my head that my shoes were completely ruined, destroyed, completely blocked. And that was the problem. And mm. I prepared myself for the worst news. And then when they t- said they were they were clear, I just completely broke down. And I just thought, I'm so no. sorry. I just, I'm just so relieved. It's such a roller coaster, isn't it? So mm. you, you go through all of that. And then what, you go back and see the consultant. And then yeah. you get your blood test results. And then you're back on that roller coaster again. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So I think when... I had um, an AFC scan to see my um, antral follicle count as well. Um, That was quite low. So that was seven um, across both. I think four four follicles on one ovary and three on the other. Um, And what does that mean exactly? So basically, 
it gives you an indication of um, if you do undertake IVF, how you will respond to the stims in IVF. Okay. Um, and, and potentially how many eggs you might get at collection. Um, so it's it's more to give you an indication of how you might respond to the IVF process as the AFC count. Okay. Um, but it can also give you an indication of, again, your ovarian reserve. Right. Um, because the more follicles you've got, the more eggs you have, you know, potentially to be released. Okay. Um, so the the AMH, when that blood test, that was just one an at-home test, which I got the results at home through my email and then read them and thought, that seems really low. And then obviously looked up, did the old Dr. Google situation, which you should never do. <laughs> and then thought, oh my God, it's really low. It's really low. What does this mean? Um, so, so they just email you the results? They do. But I mean, I think that's, to be fair, that is because it wasn't through my consultant because right. they weren't doing any of these tests at the time. It was right at the height of the pandemic as well. Okay. So they they just weren't operating as normal. So then, what do you um, do with those result, those results? Who do you go and see? What, how do you get support? And I um I had a consultation with my consultant after the results, and okay. I said, I'm I'm really really I'm really worried about this. I'm really mm-hmm. worried about these results. What does it you know what they mean for me? And she wasn't she wasn't as concerned. She wasn't okay. as concerned as I was at all. You know, she said it is a snapshot of your hormone levels at the time. It can fluctuate. Um, yes, it is low, but it's not super low to the point okay. where, we're, you know, we, we're, we're going to completely dis- dismiss IVF as an option because you can have levels that are so low that yeah. even IVF isn't an option. For I guess example. she's probably seen levels much worse, right? Yeah, I think when you get much lower, you are then are at the point where it's donor egg territory. Right, okay. It's the only option, really. And so... Um, what is what what lays ahead for you what's in the pipeline well um I have been um the one good thing that did come from all the tests was it pushed the consultant to say right okay your age we're not going to put you under surgery because there is evidence to suggest that surgery can reduce your AMH even more particularly um, if you're looking at a lap for endometriosis okay. and they've tried to remove the endometriosis. And if there is on, if it's present on the ovaries, it can, it can reduce your numbers even more, basically. Right. So it can how, do you mind if I ask how old you are? No, not at all. I am 38 now. Okay. So 38 in December. Um, right. So th- throughout the process, I had a, another birthday. Um, and uh, so luckily she did, agreed to push forward with IVF so um I've I've had the process now I'm in the middle of the process of of, of doing IVF oh wow Um, wonderful how are you feeling (laughs) good very very good yes yeah very good yeah um feeling positive in terms of uh, egg collection um my numbers were very much in line with what I expected so Mm -hmm. they collected three eggs right so for me, having that knowledge of knowing that I have potentially got this DOR, I was prepared for low numbers. Yeah, and yeah. So I wasn't you weren't yeah, yeah, at the yeah. news when yeah. it came out of the surgery that you know. And do you think that eggs. do you think that helped you with the the you know what followed the process that followed the fact that your expectations were well managed? Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I think that 
I'd done all my research. I knew exactly what AMH meant for me and what DOR meant and knew that there was a, a high chance that the numbers that they collect for me would be low on the low side. Okay. Um, so they, they do there is they do suggest that there is a chance that your numbers be, are low, but also potentially low quality eggs as well, which can okay. mean that you have an increased risk of miscarriage and, and things. Yeah. Um, but for me, luckily, um, it didn't seem to be the case because they did collect three eggs to fertilize normally. Um, one resulted in an excellent quality blast. It was a, it was a great result. Um, but I do think that if I hadn't have known all this and gone into the IVF process, I was in the clinic, yeah. um, in the ward rather, and I heard other women, other nurses talking to the women, talking about 15 eggs, right. 20 eggs. And then yeah. that would have been just horrible. Yeah, devastating. Not, yeah, absolutely. To, to know my number three. <laughs> Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? I always think it's amazing how quickly your brain gets you round each hurdle mm-hmm. because yeah. once you know what you're dealing with, you, yeah. you learn to accept it and then you're like, okay, it's all about managing expectations and then you yeah. don't suffer this complete fall off a cliff every time something else happens because you're like, right, okay, well, I knew this and I knew that mm-hmm. and I knew that would mean that. Therefore, mm-hmm. I'm expecting this and I'm yeah. okay because I have prepared myself for it. And brain knowledge is, is power. Knowledge is power. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's incredible, I think, how um, it's like an adapt or die situation, isn't yeah. it? We, we completely yeah. adapt our, manage our expectations in order to survive. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Becca, well, thank you so much for talking to us. Yeah, thank oh, you. You're so welcome. Well, thank you very much for, for having me and and letting me come on and talk about I, the main reason that I wanted to talk about it was was because I do feel that everyone has the right to whether they want to speak about pregnancy loss or not or not yes. that's totally Definitely. your choice and I completely get that and some people don't want to talk about it and that's fine it's absolutely it's it's absolutely fine but it really helped me to understand that I wasn't on my own and there was so you know this wasn't a completely rare occurrence that never mm. happened yeah and for me to be open and talk about it uh, it had personally helped me get through a really terrible situation yeah and um, to to be open and and I, t- I told my boss what was happening with the ectopic and she was absolutely brilliant yeah that's you know, good she, she she has been through a pregnancy loss herself which that helps I think does help massively yeah. yeah yeah it does um but me choosing to be open and I, and I hope that it helps people particularly with the DOR yeah I was gonna say with along that along that that vein what what advice would you give someone who's just had their test results back and they've got um low AMH or DOR I would say please don't be too despondent and don't don't I know it's so difficult but don't turn to Dr Google because you will frighten yourself to death Mm, (laughs) when you look at the statistics and the numbers um it it is so so true when they say it only takes one mm. egg it only takes yeah. one embryo but I think for me if you even when you're at a younger age I would be I would uh, the one thing that I wish I could change would be to have gone and got myself looked at and my levels checked earlier so I wasn't mm. at the point where time was such a crucial factor for me and I was really yeah. worried about being over 35 and how much time I had left you know, and the, 
the result of, of the three month wait and things like that. Um, I would have gone and got my levels checked, got my AMH level. I didn't even know what AMH was before yeah. the ectopic. No. No idea. Mm. Um, and then I would have been able to make an informed decision a bit earlier. Yeah. So maybe it would have been, I, well, I would have gone and had maybe an egg collection when I was younger. Yeah. Um, and had an option there. Okay, so yeah, interesting. Having that option there for me would have been really, really crucial. And, and it would have changed my view on, okay, yes, I'm going to come off the pill and I'll probably get pregnant within about six months, you know, yeah. happen. you know, it's, it doesn't necessarily happen like that. And to prepare yourself that you it's not, your fertility isn't a given. It's not, no. you no. know, and until you start trying, you just don't know. No. You just don't know. Yeah. Good advice. Good advice. <laughs> I might go and get mine tested. <laughs> Never had it you're, tested. You're still a young gun. What are you, 35? don't know to be honest you don't know how old you are <laughs> 36 are you just oh age, we're the same we're the same age for the next month not for long yeah <laughs> then you'll right. be an old fogey again yeah okay <laughs> yeah oh, right, well, it's really it's been lovely speaking to you both yeah and you. you i'm sure and it's so... going to help lots of people it's something that yeah. we've, we've not spoken about before so it'd be really interesting to hear yeah. from feedback and all the best of the future. Stay in touch, won't you? I certainly will. Good. <laughs> I'm following you on Instagram and everything, so uh, good. I'll, I'll be I'll be getting some of the merchandise. <laughs> good, as modelled by me. I'm actually. I'll be honest. I just put it over my pajamas this morning. <laughs> Awful, isn't it? Pretty bad. I had a bit of a bad night last night, and then I woke up and I was like, "Oh my god, I got podcast recording in 20 minutes." <laughs> brilliant at least you woke up in time yeah exactly yeah well thank you so much enjoy the rest of your days girls oh, yeah you too guys thank, thank you, you soon Keep see you later bye. bye thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the podcast don't forget to subscribe rate and review and we'll see you next week and to find out more about our pathway to recovery please visit our website